Hello and welcome to Lockdown Leafs Podcast. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano, joined by my co-host, special co-host of the day, Heart of Lad from Pension Plan Puppets. What's going on, buddy? How'd you enjoy this one tonight? Um, it's gone well, all things considered. Um, it was okay. It was another loss, but you know, they played well. I can't I can't argue too much. Yeah, Leafs falling two to one in a shootout to the Calgary Flames that passed Makachuk with the shootout winner. But to me, I thought the real story in this one was uh big save Dave, as they're calling him now. Dave Riddick, the goaltender for the Calgary Flames. The Leafs just they were peppering him with some quality chances kind of all game long. He turned away thirty-five, thirty-six shots. Um, had uh, uh, had nine high danger chances on him as well that he was able to stop. Uh, what are your thoughts on on Riddick's game tonight? Uh, obviously he played well. I thought he was great tonight. Um, which sucks because the Leafs lost, but yeah. uh, yeah, I thought he was um really good. Uh, I especially thought his um lateral movement was really strong. Um, I don't know if he was anticipating passes more often than shots. I don't know if there's a book on the Leafs in terms of that, but. He was getting across really well to make a lot of um, toe saves, glove saves, blocker saves, all you can uh, think of. So, altogether, a great night. Um, he prepared, he did well, and um, yeah, he deserved that win, I guess. And funny enough, too, because yesterday he was just nominated to uh, take take over Darcy Kemper's spot in the All-Star game, and he comes up and has an All-Star-worthy performance here tonight. And it was funny, before the game, they were kind of talking to him and they were saying, oh, how does it feel to be, you know, named to the Pacific All-Star team? And he jokingly said, well, there really wasn't anybody else. (laughs) Already two (laughs) of the goalies were scratched and they had to replace both of their starters. But uh, he went out there and I thought he proved tonight for sure that he's worthy of being an All-Star. And it's interesting because he's a guy who I feel like consistency has kind of been the issue with him so far. Uh, he could go on a real hot stretch of 10 games and then kind of go silent for five games. And even like two weeks ago, Cam Talbot started three or four games in a row while they kind of rested Riddick a little bit. But it seems like now he's he's getting his game back. Um, other than goaltending, though, what uh, what were your thoughts on, on tonight's game? What did you think of the Leafs' performance? Uh, yeah, I thought the Leafs started off really strong. I think they kind of... They were really strong in terms of their forecheck and being able to get shots and being able to get into the right areas to take shots. Um, but on the defensive side, they're still pretty much tire fire that needs like constant water on it just to keep it alive and not from uh, completely burning up. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's my general thoughts just because, yeah, I don't know, the defense hasn't been great. Um, they've been giving up a, a lot of really high-quality chances um, just right in front of the net, right in the slot. And, uh, yeah, it kind of hurt them in this one. It kind of stifled a lot of their offense just because they had to play defense so much and um, stay in their own zone and kind of have to defend low, um, which kind of turned off their defense, uh, their offense after a pretty good first part of the first period. And then, you know, that kind of carried on until the, until the third. Yeah, and I think it kind of forced uh, Freddie Anderson to come up big for them once again. He's mm-hmm. been their MVP all season. And exactly he had to to do it again because, I mean, on the other side, Dave Reddick was playing so well. He just had to kind of keep up. It was almost like a keeping up with the Joneses type situation in net tonight. Um, <laughs> but you bring up the, the defense and, and how much they've kind of been struggling. Obviously, missing Jake Muzzin, missing Morgan Riley. This is now game two of life after Riley, if you will. Uh, Rasmus Sandin getting into his second game in a row here. Uh, real quick, what were your thoughts on him so far since coming back up to the NHL? And how did you think he played tonight? Yeah, he's been great. Um, he's doing pretty much as good and sometimes better than 
all the other defensemen around him, so I'd say that's pretty good, all things considered. Um, he played as he got as he played, I think, almost as much as Dermot. Um, played a lot more than Marinson. Um, was solidly their their third or fourth guy, third third guy that they were playing. So they trust him. They like him. Uh, I thought he was really good in terms of getting to the right spots and doing the right things with the puck. Um, he's not like dominant along the boards and winning puck battles, but he's good enough that when he gets support and he can, you know, play the position enough to um, create some 50-50 battles. And you know, that's all you can really ask right now for a, a teenager, I guess. And uh, yeah, uh, offensively he's been solid. Like. He got those two assists uh, the other night, and uh, he's keeping it up with some good shots, and um, yeah, overall playing well. Yeah, and I think the fact that you know he does have that comfort level with Sheldon Keefe also helps. Really, at the beginning of the year, being under under Coach Babcock, it, they may not have saw eye to eye too much. You know, a Swedish kid coming over, and and you know might not know him all that much, but now he's got a bit of a comfort level, knows Keefe's systems, kind of knows what Keefe expects of him to do, and yeah. you know, vice versa. I thought you know you spoke or. Uh, yesterday after the game, Keith had spoke about why Sandin was put on the on the second power play. You know, kind of a young kid. Usually they don't end up, especially his, his first game back in the NHL um, since October. Uh, usually they don't get the type of responsibility or privilege, I guess, to play on the power play unit. But obviously this is a guy who had worked on the power play under Sheldon Keefe earlier this year, back when he was with the Marlies and had that trust in him. How much do you think that that trust factor between those two and the relationship has actually helped Sandine uh, on a second call up to the NHL? I think it helps him. And I think it helps every single other player that Keefe has coached uh, in the last couple of years. Um, uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, when Timo Kiva helped me was called up uh, to essentially go on the Minnesota road trip because he's from uh, Minnesota. He's a native from there. And, uh, he basically, when he came back to the uh, to the Marlies and was doing some pressers with us, he basically said that it was really nice to hang out with Sheldon again. He had only really, like, been coached by him for a couple months, but uh, he was, you know, speaking very almost fatherly, parentally, uh, saying it was really nice to see him. It was really nice to talk to him and to feel comfortable around him. And like he, he had all he he really missed him, and it was it was really nice. And I feel like that is um, echoed down throughout the lineup. Uh, with like the likes of Pierre Engvall, of course, Sandine, Martin Marinson, um, the guys in the fourth line, Dimitri Timoshov. So uh, it's really nice to have uh, Sheldon there as someone that the players can trust, that the players really like and want to play for, and that they want to have that kind of relationship with. So it's it's all good. I think it's all really good. Um, you kind of talked about Pierre Engvall, actually, and this is his second game now up <laughs> with Willie Nylander and uh, John Tavares being blessed with those top six minutes, which I know he's he's one of your guys. You're the one who cycled Engvall, <laughs> and he's he's your dude. Um, how have you how'd you thought? How have you liked his game since kind of being moved up into the lineup? And do you think that this is a, a good spot know. for him, or is this just kind of, ah, he's there for now, uh, but that's not really going to be his role going forward? What, what are your thoughts on how he's played so yeah. far? Yeah. I think he's already lost his spot, to be honest. Um, this is a hot take coming for me, but I think Andreas Janssen is the player to talk about on the left wing. He, I'm pretty sure, replaced... Well, after uh, Engvall got, um, you know, he fell down in the first period and hit his head hard on the ice, um, which really sucked, and he was out for the rest of the first. I think it was, like, only a couple minutes in. Um, he came back, and he was back on the, in the game. But uh, Andreas Janssen had come up and played with the... Uh, with uh, Tavares and Nylander, and he had played amazing. He had a great game. Um, we don't talk enough about how great Andreas Janssen is, 
Uh, it's taken him some time to get back from his injury, but he was fast, he was dynamic, he was uh, purposeful. I thought he played way better, and um, yeah, I think I genuinely think he's like a step above above Engvall, which says a lot because I really like Engvall, <laughs> and I really like what Engvall brings to this team. I really like them too in the middle six right now, and I think I'm thinking moving forward they're going to keep Janssen there because I like Engvall. He's really good on the third line. He works really well with Kerfoot and uh, Kapanen uh, in terms of rush chances and cycling and uh, defense. So, you know, it's all good. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't really praise Engvall first when I saw the performance I saw from Janssen because Janssen was just amazing. So what you're saying is my theory of Janssen is now expendable <laughs> is, is no longer a thing. He is definitely a top six player that needs to be on the Leafs. Yeah, well, he always has been. I think the argument isn't that Johnson sucks and we need to trade him. I think the argument is that he's good, but he makes some money, and we need to invest the money on defense. Yeah, I think that's the only argument you can really make where you're like, okay, what's something that we can take a downgrade on, which is left wing because we have Hyman, Mikheyev, Engvall. Uh, can we take a downgrade on that in order to improve the defense? I think that's the, the conversation being had. It's not in terms of how are these guys performing. Uh, if they do end up trading Johnson and having Engvall take that spot, or you're taking the third-line spot with Mikheyev up there, it's a downgrade. That's a loss on that side. Um, but you can kind of hope to mitigate that with a really, really strong center plus right-wing side with the you know, the three dynamic duos, duos that we have right now, and then hopefully help the defense, which you know definitely needs some help. Not right now, but this season, and then moving forward as well to next season, because you kind of hope to get someone with some term for Johnson, because he also has term. Definitely. I think that's that's going to be one of the interesting things moving forward is to see if between now and the deadline, if they end up moving some roster pieces, who they decide is somebody that they can kind of part with. Obviously, they're going to get something back, but who is that player up front that they feel that they're that is expendable that they're able to kind of part with and get mm-hmm. themselves a, a nice piece uh, for the back end. Uh, before we move yeah. on to do the good, the better, the best of this game, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to kind of discuss that, that you saw throughout the game? Um, just to close that point, I just kind of wanted to say, like, I don't know if they're going to make any trades this season. I think they're pretty much capped out. And with McKayev injured for what seems to be the rest of the year, um, I don't know if they're going to be able to, trade Janssen right now. I think they need him for the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, I think this is going to be a summer move. I think we kind of just had to put a stop on it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of trades from the Marlies. Um, a lot of guys that are, you know, that have been bouncing around between the Marlies and the Leafs, and especially who haven't gotten a chance on the Leafs at all. Um, I'm speaking specifically to Jeremy Bracco. <laughs> uh, I think we're going to have to start seeing some trades soon because the I'm pretty sure the Marlies are down 4-1 right now. They've lost uh they're, they've lost a significant number of games. I think they've won three games under Greg Moore, which he got his job in right near the middle of December. So, yeah, not great. All right, uh, we'll move on, and we'll we'll kind of put a nice little bow on this mm-hmm. game with a good, better, best, and that'll be coming up in just a moment. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Leafs podcast. Uh, Mike DeStefan here alongside Heart of Lad from the Pension Plan Puppets. Uh, so, Leafs... Falling 2-1 to one in a shootout, a, a pretty good effort. Really, I think the story of this one was the goaltending, and uh, I have a feeling that they'll show up here in our good, better, best. But let's kind of start off with mm-hmm. what, what you thought was good out of the Maple Leafs tonight. Um, I thought uh, Austin Matthews. I guess I can put him first because you know we're going to go increasingly in terms of quality tonight. Um, I thought Austin Matthews had a really good game, 10 shots. 
I don't know how many shot attempts he had. I can quickly look that up. He 12. had a lot. I, um, 12 or 13? Yeah. I have nine He had 10 shots, at 505. But... He had 12 altogether in this game. Really, really great night for him. It's just it wasn't going in. He was taking shots a, a little bit from the outside a little too much, but he was creating for his teammates. Hyman, I thought, had a good night. Um, yeah, this is one of those rare nights where Austin Matthews doesn't score. Um, I kind of want to give him a bit of a shout-out tonight because uh, I'm just completely surprised that he has been so consistent this season. I think he has 17 goals in his last 17 games, or I guess 18 goals since he didn't score tonight, but he's been a, a model of consistency from the beginning of the year, from the, through the Babcock year, uh, months, uh, all the way through to Shelton Keefe. Like, he's been solid. He's been the number one player, and I, I can't not give him that kind of credit because that kind of consistency has helped this team be where it is right now. I totally agree. Adam had the same thing. I thought that he had a really good uh, good game. I thought that that line specifically uh, I thought was pretty good tonight. Zach Hyman, as always, getting getting in there. Uh, but I think for, for Austin Matthews, one of the things that has kind of always plagued him, it's not that we didn't think that he was a great scorer and a great offensive talent, but it seemed like he was kind of lacking in the defensive end. And I feel like that's kind of what changed him a little bit over the last, I'll say, month maybe. It seems like he's finally starting to – uh, figure things out in his own end, and it's really kind of taken his game to another level. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd say so. I think he, I think all year he's been very good defensively. Um, I think he's more engaged. I think he fights more. I think under Sheldon Keefe's system, where they just try to hound for the puck as much as they can. I think that's um, it. He go seems for the rebounds. So... Make sure like they can give up a shot here or there, but as long as they go for the rebounds, as long as they kind of hound their way back. Um, that kind of really fits into Matthews's game, so I think that's kind of where he's kind of start, started to excel a lot, uh, because he's being pushed and told to do the things that he can do, uh, and it fits within the system really well. Yeah, I just feel like personally over the last little bit, he's seemed just a lot more aggressive in his own end. Where before mm-hmm. it seemed like he was a little bit passive when he when he was in his own own zone, and and now it just seems like he uh, just he's a little more active in his own end and he's, he's trying to play the body a little more and trying always consistently trying to get the puck, um, which I mean, if you can get yourself, get the puck back for your team, then you can go down the other way and score. And I think that's also been a big reason for it. You know, like Backpack always used to say, if you want to get going offensively, play well in your own end. And it seems like, although it's being done in a different way, it's kind of starting to, come to it's kind of start to come to fruition that whole theory um about playing well on on, on in one end and it'll help you out on the other uh yeah what did you think uh, who do you think had a little bit of a better game tonight um i think i have to go back to jansen uh, i really liked him i had i thought he had a banger night i thought he was moving the puck really well um really aggressive really strong he was carrying whatever lines he was on a lot of the time uh, I think early in the in the first period, he kind of had a bit of a, a couple bobbles with Matthews and uh, sorry, what not Matthews? I mean, uh, Tavares and Nylander, uh, just where he wasn't quite synced up with them. But once he got going, uh, he looked really great, and I'm just really excited for Janssen. I thought he had a really good game. I want to give him that kind of praise. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's he's but he was one of, he was a better player in tonight's game, uh, especially since he looked like he took a step from uh, what we've been seeing from him recently uh, when he came back from the injury. Yeah, I, I have to give mine to, to Freddie Anderson. I thought that he was you know mm-hmm. really good again tonight for the Leafs. He was their MVP, and that stop that he made in overtime, I have no idea how he was able to make that stop. I think he was even falling. Like He just was falling and 
somehow got his glove up, and I'm not sure if it hit his glove or it hit his pad that he was stacking, but somehow was able to make that stop on Lindholm in overtime to kind of keep it going. Uh, but he made a few really incredible stops tonight to, to keep his team in it. You know, they were down one nothing uh, after after one or after two, and uh, he kind of had to make sure that he didn't allow anything else past him because, well, on the other end, who I'm sure will show up in in uh, in the segment in a moment, was just as good, if not better, than he was. So he had to come up big, and, and I thought he did that for the Leafs. Unfortunately, he allowed just one more goal in the shootout than uh, his counterpart, but I thought that Anderson had a really, really solid game tonight against Calgary. Yeah, I completely agree. I was going to try and cheat a little bit and pick, uh, pick both my goaltenders for um, the first star. <laughs> hey, man, you <laughs> but, can do uh, that. Yeah. I, I got to say, I agree with everything you say for um, for Anderson. I thought he was great. Um, unreal tonight. Uh, he's had some not great nights, um, but I think he's starting to come back. You can always expect him to finish the season with like a 918 or 919. You can see his uh, track record. He's unbelievably consistent. Of course, he has you know those ups and downs as the season goes on, but you know, just he's he's going to be so great. Uh, he's still so great right now. And, um, yeah, that's that's all I can really say, exactly what you were saying. Real quick, uh, while we're great. on the Some conversation about Anderson, and, you know, over the last, we'll say, maybe few weeks or so, it seemed like he'd been allowing a little more goals. And just there was that thought that was creeping up into his mind. Not that he wasn't healthy, but is he being overworked? And I think the conversation kind of led to, oh, maybe – they need to go out and get another backup goaltender. Hutchinson went out, got a, got a couple of wins in a row, uh, but still, I, I just I, I know you're in the same uh, in the same group as me. It just doesn't think Hutchinson is the guy, despite playing well the last couple of games. And now that their conversation has kind of flipped over to Alex Gorgiev of the New York Rangers, uh, and Darren Dreger came out today and said that they have had preliminary talks with the Rangers. Do you think that'd be a good fit for the Leafs? And is that maybe uh, a minor enough move or would require a minor enough um, assets to give up that that could potentially be a move that you see the Leafs making? Um, I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Leafs are kind of stuck with what they have right now. Mm. Uh, I don't really see why the Rangers want to trade Georgiev. I know that they have three goaltenders right now, but you kind of, when you have a young goaltender, you don't know what he's going to be. You hold on to them. You you hold on to them. There's no there's no debate. Um, they could become something, and you could be the goaltender at the exact same time. Tuka Rask. And you look like an idiot. Exactly. Tuka Rask for injury cop, right? Hey, we got Justin Pogu. We don't need Rask. Oh, but that's what we're about. Exactly. We, we know this firsthand. Um, <laughs> Loose fans should be the last uh, teams thinking that the Rangers would trade um, a young goaltender like that. Because they know what can happen when you're a young, rebuilding team. Uh, yeah. I don't th- I don't think it can happen unless, you know, the Leafs give up, you know, like a nothing prospect right now, which, you know, the Rangers would never take that, right? So I don't think there's a fit. I don't think the Leafs are willing right now to give up um, a, fu- a, a, a valuable future for a backup goaltender. I think they know that they have perhaps enough with Hutchinson and, and Anderson, and they're just going to try and ride it out until the summer. I don't, I don't see them making a trade right now for a backup goaltender. I think their biggest need right now is a defense. Well, luckily they do have a little tiny bit of a, a cushion here, um, sitting a few points uh, within a, a divisional mm-hmm. spot. So maybe if they can just coast and get themselves a little bit 
a little bit further and cemented into a playoff spot, then they can afford to kind of give Hutchinson some more starts and rest up Freddie down the stretch because, I mean, history has shown that as Freddie approaches 60 games and starts to creep a little bit over 60, his play starts to deteriorate a little bit. So that's the only thing that worries me about not getting a goaltender that you trust is that you won't want to play him, whereas I think, you know, Georgiev, you would feel a lot more comfortable playing him on some nights than you would over Hutchinson. And that would just, in turn, give Freddie a little bit of rest and hopefully get him a little bit more fresh for uh, for the hopeful playoff run that Toronto's looking to go on. Um, all right. Uh, that was a little bit of a went sideways, but that's okay. I, that was That was my <laughs> fault. I just wanted to have that conversation quick. But it does still lead into talking about good goaltenders, and that's who I thought was the best on the night. Dave Reddick, what? a game out of this guy uh we kind of talked about it already off the top but i mean he, he's got to be your number one star right of course yeah without a doubt it's uh, not a debate yeah no and it's i guess we kind of already talked about him a lot throughout the thing but it's just funny he's he's a guy who's kind of coming out of nowhere for calgary and just when it seemed like there was a lot of conversation regarding you know, this team is so good. If they can only get goaltending, they should be able to to be a legitimate playoff contender. And it seems like they finally have found a goalie that they feel comfortable with going forward in David Riddick. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, did you Do you remember the broadcast where they were talking about um, how the Flames were such a good team last year, amazing on a home ice, and then they just kind of ran into a brick wall against uh, the Colorado Avalanche? Yeah. I think they ran into a brick wall against the Colorado Avalanche because they started Mike Smith in every single game and didn't give their backup Dave Riddich any time. I think Riddich, if he was in net, he would have won that series for them. I think he's that good. Um, he, in this night alone, uh, the Leafs could have had two and a half expected goals uh, in this game, right? Two and a half goals, give or take, so two or three. Uh, yeah, he stops uh, so many, he only gave up one goal against. 35 saves on 36 shots. Like, yeah. He's a, he's a great goalie, and um, just, man, I don't know. I don't know why they didn't have him as their goalie last year because he won them a lot of games. Yeah, well, it's a good thing that Billy Peters isn't there anymore to make that mistake. <laughs> Hopefully Jeff Ward yeah, decides to play him. Not that guy. <laughs> yeah. Not that guy. <laughs> Hopefully he'll get played more down the stretch. But, uh, all right, yeah. there's the good, better, best. And uh, we'll put a bit of a, a bit of a bow on this uh, right now and kind of move on to the next segment. We'll talk about some out-of-town storylines. Um, one's going to include Matt Kachuk because how can you sit here after just watching him play? Although he would, he didn't really get into it as much as I thought he would, but uh, he did get into it over the weekend with Zach Cassian. We're going to chat about that. I want to get your thoughts on it. And then also Vegas firing Jared Gallant. We'll talk about that also in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Locked On Lease Podcast. Mike DiStefano alongside Heart of Lad from Pension Plan Puppets. Uh, all right, so Matt Kachuk just saw him play tonight. Uh, he didn't really get too rough and rowdy like you may have expected him to try and do in Canada, in Toronto, the hockey mecca of the world. You think maybe he wants to to try and, I don't know, get get so much media attention with so many people there. There's already so much attention on him that he could try and, and kind of create a stir, but he just seemed like tonight he just, I don't know, for some reason didn't decide yeah. to be a pest as much as he usually is. Uh, but I, I think he tried. Sorry to interrupt you for a little bit, but I think he tried with Dmitry Timoshov early in the game, 
uh, find someone his own size and try and go after him. But I think the Mar- the Leafs, sorry, I almost said the Marlies. <laughs> I thought the Leafs did a really good job of just not caring. Uh, if yeah. you don't react to another guy being a bully, they're not going to be a bully. They're not going to get themselves riled up. And I think Makachev really does need, like, you know, that kind of fire, that kind of energy, that kind of fight back in order for him to get going as well. So I think they did a really good job of neutralizing him. I know he's better in the shootout, but it's a shootout. It's not yeah. real hockey. It's well, and before the crap, game, so. that was that was something that Coach Sheldon Keefe said that they that was part of their game plan. They weren't going to get mm-hmm. sidetracked by Kachuk's antics. Like he, they know that he plays an edgy game, but just don't kind of fall into what he's trying to do. He knows they were just trying to get under their skin and make sure that that doesn't happen. I thought they did a pretty good job of that. Um, Zach Cassian, on the other hand, didn't do a good job of that <laughs> over the weekend. Uh, for those who didn't see it. Uh, Kachuk laid a couple of really big, solid hits on Cassian. Uh, the the second one being, it wasn't quite illegal, but it was uh, it was a questionable, predatory hit, massive hit from the side uh, that he kind of came in and charged at him. Anyways, Cassian didn't take too kindly to it and ended up ragdolling him and just beating the heck out of him essentially uh and ended up with a, a two-game suspension out of it and uh Kachuk nothing but ended up getting a power play for his team and they ended up getting the game-winning goal off of that power play and now he's just kind of smiling at Cassian they will meet each other again on January 29th which happens to be Cassian's first game back that being said though uh what were your thoughts on the whole Cassian ch- Kachuk situation. Are you team Cassian? Are you team Kachuk? Did you think that Cassian got uh, he kind of the league went down a little bit hard on him? What are your thoughts? Um, I think this starts and end, ends with the NHL being a complete utter, and utter joke. Uh, to be honest with you, um, they don't suspend their players long enough for them to learn better. Uh, if you remember the Alex Kerfoot suspension that he got two games, um, he's been doing that hit more and more often. As the season's gone on, he did it against Knight. Uh, they don't know how to punish their players and get actual change out of them. They don't know how to stop them from doing the things that they do uh, at all. Um, that includes uh, Zach Cassian and his anger management uh, because mm-hmm. he just broke and should not. that should not be in a professional hockey league at all. Nowhere. It should not be anywhere. Uh, and, it, and they can't stop Matt, Matt, Matt Kachuk from throwing hits and egging players and uh, doing things that aren't part of the hockey game. It's not hockey anymore. That's not what it is anymore. You can't throw a headshot three times and not get called for it, not get any supplemental discipline, and get a power play out of it. You can't act like you won in that scenario, and you can do it again and again. It's, it doesn't work, uh, and I really hope that someone in the league actually cares about changing this and that they don't actually like the PR, because I feel like they like the PR right now. That's what that's the, that's how I feel like the reaction is right now. That's possible. Why, because... why was it like why was it two games specifically, knowing that they would play again two games later? That's, why did that's... I make it three so that they don't meet each other? Yeah, I totally. Why agree. did they use this two games specifically? That was bullshit. I totally agree Sorry with that. The, the fact that that's uh, so totally totally fine. Uh, the <laughs> fact that it was two games, I mean, the fact that it was only two games didn't bother me. But the fact that you know the game after is. Like his the game that he returns is against the Flames. That's the part where I was like, really NHL, you that tone deaf? Like, at least give them three games so that they don't get to face off against each other, and it, it turns into a bloodbath. Like this is now Thursday. This hit happened was it Saturday. I think it was a Saturday game, right? Saturday night, maybe Sunday. Yeah, it, it happened on the weekend, 
and we're still yeah, Saturday talking. night. It was the night where the Leafs weren't playing. Right. <laughs> and we're still talking about it on Thursday. And it's not just because yep. we missed the boat without like it's still a major talking point to this day. Like it's been days now. And the NHL yeah. uh, reportedly called both teams and said, you know, knock it off when you guys do meet on the 29th. We're going to be sending some officials there and we're going to make sure that it doesn't get out of hand. Uh, that being said, if they don't want out of hand, don't play them. Well, a hundred percent. You suspend. You give Cassian an, another game suspension. One hundred percent. Like what you should have done that. But that being said, that's already kind of over with. They can't tack on a game just because they say, "Oh, well, we we forgot that they're playing each other." So we're to make sure that doesn't happen. We're gonna give them. Another, that's not gonna happen. But do you? I mean, think... they can't. They can give him a one game suspension for instigation. If he's going to threaten a player, if he's going to threaten someone, well, that's not that's not allowed, is it? I don't threatening I, someone. I mean, yeah, I, I've never seen the suspension happen though. Yeah, because it's like, the NHL. It, yeah, but is it an empty threat or is he legitimately going to go head hunting? You know, you, I mean, he just assaulted that. a guy, and he's, he's saying he's going to do it again. Well, what are your thoughts uh, on in, in the courts of law? That's you know illegal, right? But what are your thoughts on let's say Matthew Perot? I guess this is more. This happened the other day where Jake Vertanen got, went to go and get a hit on him. And the league said that it was more of a shoulder check where Burrow said, I don't know, he kind of lifted up the elbow and got me in the head. Mm-hmm. And he kind of went off today saying that, you know, basically the league is a joke and they call player safety my ass and uh, essentially said, you know, the next game, I'll, I'm going to remember that. I'll take it into my own hands. Yeah. If the league's not going to protect the players, then I'm going to go protect myself, and someone might get a stick in the face. This is pretty much what he said. Uh, so do you think that Perot should receive you know, a couple of game suspensions for that, or do you wait until they play next time, and then you suspend them for that game specifically? Like, How do you go about dealing a situation like that? Yeah, I think this might be a bit of a long answer, um, so forgive me, but... Uh... You know when, so in the fall when we're um, in the middle of dealing with the racism in hockey, um, we got a lot of conversations. I've I've had those conversations internally with some other groups as well, uh, where they said if something happens, if something goes on, we would like to deal with it internally so that we can have a meaningful solution to it and we can deal with it and actually get a proper solution from whatever happened, right? Like a Kimelu or a Bill Peters or whatever it was. Deal with it internally, get an actual solution, get everyone to, you know, calm their heads and actually, you know, have something that's fair uh, come out. I think this needs, that needs to apply here as well. I think with Matt Perot, um, I think, you know, he should, he should have, to, he should be able to go to the league in this kind of scenario and say, hey, I really didn't like this. It made me this mad. Um, can we do something about it? Because it's not safe. It's very dangerous. And I don't want, this to become a precedent where this player can do that and 50-50 chance he doesn't get a penalty. Can we give him some sort of supplemental discipline, a warning, some kind of suspension, some kind of fine? Can we do something internally so we can deal with this without it becoming um, a public kind of WWE match or something, right? But what happens I think in, if you in deal this... with it internally, if you have a player safety organization that is able to substantially actually do something about these things mm-hmm. and actually give punishment out. Even if it's even if they're gonna get called soft for it, it's safe than sorry. Let's make sure that these players are safe. Because right now, there's gonna be an escalation. There's gonna be more people getting headshots. There's more gonna be more people thinking that they can get away with it 
and more people thinking that they needed to give retribution on the ice. And that's just not safe. We saw that in the 90s. It doesn't work. It just gives people concussions. It's not safe. Yeah, no, that's you, better you, where I go with all this. You definitely have a point. It is safer just to kind of suspend them, even if it's a borderline suspension, just kind of give them the suspension just to, uh, I mean, that would be considered a slap on the wrist, I guess, a one or two game suspension. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, and making the, more serious and making more serious, uh, serious infractions, more suspension games, right? Like if some, if Zach Cassian gets two games for that, it's really hard to say um, Jake Vertanen should get one game. But if Zach Cassian gets twenty games, you feel a little better about giving Jake Vertanen one game. Yeah, I right. think that that's a that's a much better argument. I think the fact that mm-hmm. what they do suspend for sometimes are not harsh enough, uh, in in which case when you look at when you're trying to take a look at precedents, you say, well, that got you two games, so that's not quite that bad. So we're only going to give you one right. game. It's like, well, I mean, two wrongs don't make a right. Just because you only gave him two games for that, I felt it deserved a five game suspension, and in which case this other thing that happened should have been like a three game suspension. But my, my only issue with your, um, with your argument there, we talked about like if Perot went to the league and talked about, Hey, I didn't appreciate this. I think we should have something done about it is, you know, what the league in this specific incident with Jake for they did take a look at the hit and they felt that it wasn't against the rules and that it was a clean hit. And just because, you know, Matthew Perot thought otherwise, is it fair to punish Vertanen because you know one guy thought that it was illegal, but the but the in the league's mind, after looking at it, they came up with the conclusion that it wasn't. Why would it be fair to punish Vertanen for something that he didn't do wrong? I get your point. I understand that. Uh, I think it comes down to whether if if it's if there's a gray area, you kind of have to create a black and white zone. Um, I think when I think Darren Dreger in the uh, Leafs game intermission was talking about, well, it wasn't direct contact with the head; it was like a grazing or something. Yeah, well, that's an inch or half an inch away from being an actual hit to the head. Uh, I think we need to change the way we look at intent. We look at, um, hey, you were close to hitting this guy um, with something dangerous and turning it to something worse than it was. Just because it didn't happen that way doesn't mean it's not a dangerous play. So I think that also comes down to just a general overhaul of um, how we enforce these rules. Because right now, um, with all the gray area they have and, and coming up with excuses for these players and stuff, it's, it's really hard to come up with something that's consistent. I guess that's my only uh, response to that. Because I, I do think it's fair to say, hey, this guy said this, this guy said that. They disagree. Okay, that's a, dis- that's a disagreement. Right. Um, it's hard to kind of... You, ha- you have to have a, a stable policy and a stable set of policies that can be very a lot more black and white because right now the NHL is all gray. So then just to kind of bring this back to Kachuk's hit, how did you feel about mm-hmm. the initial hits that set Cassian off? I think all of them should have been penalties, and I think by the third one he should have gone to game misconduct. Okay. Right? So he's not out there on the on the power play to help score those goals. Yeah, okay. I can, I can, right? I can see that argument for and if sure. He, and if he's not... In, and if he doesn't get those penalties and the referees screw up, first of all, they should be punished for that. Or not punished, but like, you know, just being told, like, hey, call these police because then you're going to start this. That's uh, right. on the referees. That's their job to police the game. And I'm um, sure I'm sure and, that and if, that was told by the league after these games. I'm sure Memo yeah. went out to the refs saying, hey, look, 
if, mm-hmm. if this becomes, you know, a pattern, we don't want that. So let's try and kind of police the game a little bit more. When you see these predatory-esque hits, make sure you're calling some charges a little more often and, and get these guys off the ice so that they're not doing it two, three times yeah. in one game, knocking a guy's helmet off like Chuck did to Cassian. Yeah, I think the European game has this down pat. They're not afraid to kick players out of the game. It's not the biggest thing in the world to kick someone out of a game. Really, it's not. Um, the the referee should be doing it more often. It should be, you know, if someone's not caring as much about the game as they are caring about injuring someone, they should not be playing in the game. I think more of those 10-game uh, or a game of misconduct should be handed out because then it just makes things safer. They, they only really do it in blowouts when uh, one team is getting all uh, edgy and um, aggressive when the other team is up by a lot. Right, that's only when they really do that. Yeah, no, I I I totally get that, and that's that's maybe something that the NHL can look to adapt to do. Maybe hand out a, a more game misconducts than than they do because I think it would make it safer. Because then those guys who are kind of running on on you know fumes at that point, who are just fuming on the bench, go out mm-hmm. there and do stupid stuff, kind of like you saw Cassian do. Uh, and I guess that would kind of mitigate those situations. Um, all right, we've got to move on quickly because I just want to get your thoughts on this whole Gerard Gallant being fired in Vegas nonsense and them going out and hiring Peter DeBoer. Uh, so, yes, what what did you think of, of the firing and the hiring of DeBoer? Yeah, I think it's really funny that uh, goalies single-handedly can oh, uh, yeah. hire and fire coaches. I, that's my only thought, really, because oh, yeah. um, they lost four games in a row and had a really high um, save percentage against, right? So, you know, you that's kind of think... what happens. You would think that a guy like Gerard Gallant, who took who took your team in their inaugural season all the way to the Stanley Cup final, he would mm-hmm. get a little bit more of a of a leash than being five hundred team at the midway point in the year, while already also being appointed to the All Star game. Like how how do you look at this and say no, this is a failure, this isn't working, we got to move on? Um, I have no idea. Maybe the management noticed that the players were getting a little stale. I don't know. Sometimes coaching changes are what like the bullet that they use in order to get their players to wake up a little bit. But at the same time, um Gerard Gallant is um across the board from, you know, mainstream media to uh hockey analytics. They all like him. They all think he's a above average, he's a good coach. So I think it's I don't know. I think they thought rashly, I don't know what they did. Maybe they the players didn't want to play for him anymore. I don't know what happened because I don't get it. I, I don't have a re- uh, an answer for this because it doesn't sound sane. It doesn't sound normal. No, and, and a conversation that kind of came up, uh, I was kind of thinking this anyways, but then I also heard it on Overdrive. Uh, they were talking about it, and I think Darren Dreger also came out and said that he believes that it came from pressure, from ownership, came kind of down from the top. And I'm curious that if because the team went through so much success the first year and the first little bit of adversity that this team was facing, kind of hovering in a playoff spot in year three, as opposed to just being a legitimate contender all the way through, is that the pressure that they felt that they were like, oh my God, we might miss the playoffs. This is horrible. Let's go ahead and and change our coach. That coupled with last season, seeing what happened with the St. Louis Blues when they made their 
their coaching change are some owners and and, and some GMs around the league maybe kind of starting to think mm, maybe that could be us this year. Let's try it because we have had a lot of coaching changes this year, and I can't help but think that it's linked to the thought of maybe that being the solution considering what we saw last year with St. Louis. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I I hope ownership isn't meddling in hockey teams too much. Oh, uh, I know do. that some they always do. <laughs> but those know, are the teams that don't um, win. But you got to say, like looking, just talking to the leagues really quickly, they had Brendan Shanahan to come in and be that buffer between them. I think a lot of teams started to adopt that. I hope it's working. Um, but you look just at in it. general because yeah. Well, with the Leafs Sorry, yeah. and, and MLSC, since they took over, I, they haven't really had their hands. Like, they, they hired hockey people to make the hockey decisions. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. if you look, you know, around the league, the let's say the Vancouver Canucks, for example, you're always hearing about the Aquilinis, and the Aquilinis want this, <laughs> the Aquilinis want that. And, you know, how much success has that team really had outside of that yeah. kind of three-year stint in the early 2010s? Not too much. And I think it's yeah, because... Yeah, and Vancouver it, could have had a, uh, been rebuilt a lot quicker than uh, if the Aquilinis and if uh, Jim Penning hadn't been at the helm because they, they burned a lot of, lot of really yeah. high-end picks and stuff. 100% because they wanted to win now, and that was that's what they wanted to do. I think there was they were thinking about selling the team, and they wanted to sell... A, yeah. They thought it'd be worth more if they were winning, which I guess makes a little bit of sense. But at the same time, you know, it, it's not good for your franchise. And I just feel like... You know, Vegas. They're they're you know Bill Foley um, is is the man there, and I, I really hope that it wasn't his decision, and he kind of went over everybody else's head to fire Gerard Gallant because he felt like they weren't living up to expectations. Like this is a tough league. If you're hovering in a wild card spot right now, and this is your third season in the NHL at that, like you're not a bad team. And, and not only that, like. Two weeks prior to that, they were in first place in their division. They're only three points out of the division lead, and they went ahead and fired their co- Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, how much better could Pete DeBoer really be than Gerard Gallant? I, I would say not better. I would say worse, actually. What do you do with the Sharks? Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why. I feel like maybe they just fired him because they liked DeBoer. I don't know why they liked him. Maybe there's some past... Uh, team connections yeah. with Kelly McCrimmon or George McPhee. I hate when that happens because you're just bringing in your buddies all the time, and it's it's not fair to the uh, people who are working hard and actually doing well. Uh, and it's all just more nepotism. So uh, it's just it's just really gross, and I don't like how buddy buddy uh, things can be when results don't match up with what people want because they like someone. Yeah, and I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and. I, I pose this question to him do you think that if George McPhee was still the man in charge uh you know instead of Kelly McCrimmon I mean I know McPhee's still there and he's the president and and actually probably has more say now they think about it but do you think maybe if he was the the GM there that that he wouldn't have fired Gallant and he maybe would have had more stones to stick up to ownership uh as opposed to to McCrimmon a first-time general manager um, I think all three of them had to be in that conversation, and I don't know if they can make that decision with like one person pulling another. I I don't know. Um, uh, at the end of the day, oh, I think man, it's, it's I have Bill no idea Foley. on this, on this situation says, right now. Yeah, if Bill Foley though says not nah, get rid of him, I think you got to do it. Unfortunately, just because he's yeah, there's only so much you can cover. Yeah, like I know that the Pacific Division's really bad this season. Like 
yeah. the top team in the Pacific wouldn't be fifth in the Metro. I think like, I understand took... that. It's really bad. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, just you got to play it against the competition that you have and make sure that the team you have is good enough to get in the playoffs because that's all that really matters. And then once you're in, uh, you have the pieces that you need to be there. And the coach is included in that. If you think you have a good coach that has good playoff experience and it works well with the players, then you do that. If the if there's a situation where the players and the players don't like him, then it's different. But, you know, I don't think that's true because I think Jorgalon's a very likable guy. You know what's sad about this, too? They're going to make the playoffs, and because the division is so weak, they're going to steamroll all the way through to the conference finals, and they're going to say, oh, it's a good thing that they fired their coach because Peter DeBoer <laughs> took them this far. It's like, well, they would have done that anyways because who they got to beat? Arizona, Edmonton, Vancouver, you know, Calgary, I guess, is is the – is it the cream of the crop of that division right now? But even Calgary, like, isn't you know a studly team that you know is is considered uh, you know top tier by any means. So it's kind of mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's it, you just know that's going to happen, and it's going to bug me when that storyline starts getting circulated in hockey. But eh, yeah, it what it's it is. so annoying when narratives are based on uh, results rather than actually story actual stories. Yeah, it's just. It's so annoying. It's so annoying, especially in the playoffs. It happens all the time. It's going to happen, I'm telling you. It yep. is gonna. If I can I lay down you. a futures bet, it is going to be that the Vegas Golden Knights make it to the Western Conference Final. <laughs> it's just going to happen. Right, I believe you. <laughs> all right, man, that's going to do it for us here today in the podcast. Went a little long. Sorry, guys, but uh, oh, that's what happens. That's when, to go along with get, me, doesn't it? Yeah, you know Thanks what? You it's not just you. It happens a little bit more with you, but <laughs> we just love talking hockey. At the end of the day, that's what it is. That's all yeah, it we is. Yeah, we do, of course. All right, man. Appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Lockdown Leafs podcast on all podcast net, uh, platforms. You can receive daily Leafs content. Follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Leafs. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck. And follow Hardiv at Hardiv Lad. You got anything coming out soon for uh, the Pet and Plant Puppets to keep an eye on for? Um, I just have some news and link stuff going out, but I'm going to uh, write a lot about the Marlies over the um, bye week and stuff, so keep an eye out for that. I'm going to have lots of stuff on those guys. Hey, man, it, with the bye week uh, coming up, you know, there's yeah. going to be a lot of Leaf fans looking for some Leafs content. Yeah. And the it Marlies... lines up perfectly with the midseason break for the for the Marlies as well, so yeah. It's going to be fun. Some, some player evaluations coming. Good stuff, good stuff. So everybody keep an eye out for that. Uh, And be sure to check back in here tomorrow where I'll uh, be coming out with another episode here for the Locked on Leafs. But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked on Leafs.